Amy, on this podcast, we try to always offer useful takeaways. And if you learn nothing else from us, learn this useful parenting lesson by Pampers Cruisers 360. Pampers Cruisers 360 are the ultimate parent hack, the best diaper to use as soon as your baby starts standing or walking. Instead of ordinary diaper tabs, they have a unique 360-degree stretchy waistband that moves with your wild child. Pampers Cruisers 360 makes it so easy to change your baby. Who probably doesn't stop moving just because they need a diaper changed? Just slide on to apply and away they go. And fear not, parents. Pampers Cruisers 360 offers an up to 100% leak-free fit, and they just got even better with a new blowout barrier. Need we say more? For Trusted Protection Trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician-recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Then redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupons, savings, and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers cash has no cash value. I just didn't get the mom I was hoping for. What fresh hell. Laughing in the face of motherhood. Snap it, call it out, that is toxic. With Margaret Abels and Amy Wilson. You can't get pizza from a Chinese restaurant. A podcast that solves today's parenting dilemmas so you don't have to. Drunk Uncle Bob won't really help you with this. Hello, everyone, and welcome to What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. This is Margaret. And this is Amy. And today we're talking about toxic positivity. I think I like this topic. <laughs> I have to get into it. Amy kind of prepped this one a little bit. We've definitely yeah, yeah. talked about it with guests before. We've talked about it with Kate Bowler in her fresh take, which we'll link to. Mm-hmm. And we also talked about it a little bit with Taylor Harris, who we will also link to in a fresh take. Mm-hmm. But I'm interested to hear your thoughts on toxic positivity. Well, it's one of these things where like, you know what it is when you hear it, right? But how do you define it? So I'll start with a a definition. Psychologist Natalie Dottillo says that toxic positivity comes from the idea that the best way or the only way to cope with a bad situation is to put a positive spin on it. Right. So some examples, shall we brainstorm some examples of (laughs) toxically positive things? Somebody might say like, you got to look on the bright side. Right. It could be worse. This is a blessing. It's a blessing. God doesn't give you more than you can handle. You'll get over it. Right. And perhaps the most insidious ones, especially at parents, at least you have other children. Yeah. At least you could have one child to people with secondary infertility. Right. All this stuff telling you that it's actually going to be okay in the most unhelpful way possible. Yes. I definitely recognize the problem. Toxic positivity. I'm feeling it. Kate Bowler was amazing talking about this. She is has a terminal cancer diagnosis, although has survived for several years and writes beautifully on the topic. And the book is called No Cure for Being Human. And the idea is like, we have to be human and endure. And we don't always have to think like, we don't always have to be desperately trying to put a bright face on everything. I think it comes from often from I'm thinking about, you know, Kate Bowler, somebody with a incurable cancer that she's living with makes people profoundly uncomfortable. Yes. Right. Chronic illness, open ended things, things that seem really hard. It's their discomfort that is coming out and them telling you 
well, God wouldn't give you something you can handle. Because the alternative to that is unthinkable, that you've been given something unhandleable, right? Right. And this need and desire that we feel to hold things away from ourselves. And I also think this is the thing that I push back on a little bit about toxic positivity is that it sometimes falls into the range of something that I don't like to spend a lot of time on, which is defining other people's reactions to things. Because I just always feel like that's not that helpful. Like, yes, people will have horrible reactions, but our ability to control other people's reactions limited at best, at best. So kind of calling out like that's toxic positivity, like, okay, but what are we doing about it? What's the flip side? Well, I think I would say that you're not, we've talked before about standing in the receiving line at a funeral and having somebody say to you, well, haven't needed another angel or, you know, some BS you're not supposed to say to a grieving person. And I think talking about this and understanding this is not so that you in that moment can be like, snap it, call it out. That is toxic. Hashtag toxic positivity. We don't play that. Miss me with the toxic positivity. <laughs> it's not for that, but it's that for me in my head, it would really help me in that situation or it has helped me when I'm on the receiving end of that. Like, okay, they're saying that for them, not for me. They're saying kids are resilient because they really, really want to believe that. And that's why they're going to say that in the face of this difficult thing that they're hearing. It's for them, not for me. And I think being able to label it and hold it away from you is what will save you. And so that's why it's worth talking about. Yeah. So you're understanding it from your point of view and controlling it from your point of view. And also, as we discuss it as a concept more broadly that now more people hear about, I think there is some hope to say, like, let's try to let this thing go of always trying to similarly to like, maybe we could stop greeting everybody by being like, did you lose weight? Like, I think we're getting better at that. You know, like we don't always have to greet everyone by commenting on their appearance or their weight. Similarly, we don't always have to respond with toxic positivity when we are in these situations. Right. And we don't always, for example, after two years of a pandemic, need to talk about the silver lining. Sometimes there don't have to be silver linings. There can just be pandemics. <laughs> <laughs> I have this conversation. I have someone said to me a long time ago, I went to my mom with something and I just didn't get the mom I was hoping for talking about her mom, that her mom had, you know, maybe just decided that this was the time to lay the hammer down and be like, yes, you have made horrible choices and I don't know how you're getting out of this. And I think of that all the time. Like I sometimes say to my husband, I'm going to tell you something and I need you on team me when I tell you this. I don't want rationality. I don't want the devil's advocate. I don't want the flip side, the better side. I just want you to say, you're absolutely right. And who do I have to go have a strong turn, stern talking to, you know? And I think that's another part of it. Like, yeah, what you expect. Sometimes you just get the wrong things from people. And sometimes there are those people, like I'm thinking of two relatives I have. They have uh, grown up together. They've been siblings for many decades at this point. And one of the siblings is the worrier. And, you know, you don't understand, but it's like, here's this problem. I'm going to tell you my problem. and I'm going to tell you why I'm stressed. And the sibling, I have seen this sibling 40 times say, what are you going to do? Always gives that response, which sends the, you know, sibling one and their Abbott and Costello act that they have together into a like, what do you mean? It's this, well, 
What are you going to do? I see it play out from across the room. And I always think like that. I understand sibling one's frustration, but that's what sibling two says. Like that's what that person does. And you're counting on that person. Right. Maybe sibling two is not the person to take your anxieties. Right. And maybe that person is one of the closest people to you, which is frustrating and hard. I'm not saying that, but the work is for sibling number one with whom I identify in this dyad, if you haven't noticed, to say like, right, that is what they're going to say. And it's always going to be what they're going to say. Right. So don't be mad at them for saying the thing that they always say. Yeah, we call this Drunk Uncle Bob at Thanksgiving, right? Like, if you invite Drunk Uncle Bob to Thanksgiving, you probably can't spend the whole Thanksgiving mad that Drunk Uncle Bob is being annoying and drunk. Like, yeah, you know, my Aunt Terry likes to say, Amy, you can't get pizza from a Chinese restaurant. Like, you can't get your needs fulfilled if you bring them to the wrong person. That's such a good skill to learn in life. And I think especially with our spouses, sometimes it can be really hard to say, Okay, this might be a girlfriend thing. I'm not sure if, because otherwise it just becomes me being like, I'm not getting what I need. I've been watching a lot of Love is Blind, Amy. Oh, have you? And there's a lot of the use of the phrase, like, you're not giving me what I need. And it's like, that's it. He's not giving you what you need. Like, right. can you get it somewhere else? You can't get, I'm screaming at the TV the whole time. You can't get pizza from a Chinese restaurant, friends. Well, they wouldn't be a show, right? If everybody really internalized that, that message. There would be one episode. If the show would end when I walked in the pods and I was like, listen up, everyone, gather around. You can't get pizza from a Chinese restaurant. That would end the whole premise of the show. Yeah. <laughs> but love is blind. I thought you said love is blind. No, and I would ruin it. People love love is blind. So I'm not going to do that because people love it. Can we talk a little bit about why there is such a thing as toxic positivity? I guess so. I mean, I was just going to talk about love is blind for 40 minutes, Amy, but I guess we do have a show. Yes. Let's talk about toxic positivity. Because I, I am interested in why people do it. Because I, I mean, I think there are some people who do it all the time. There are some people who do it never, but all of us do it once in a while. I think we've all had that tendency come out of our mouths or at least be in our head like, oh, but it's fine, actually. And you really have to remember that it's actually going to be fine. So why do we do this? Right. So Natalie Dottillo, same psychologist who defined it for us at the beginning, she says that this results from our tendency as humans to undervalue negative emotional experiences and overvalue positive ones. This is kind of the opposite of what we've talked about in the past. Like we've talked about the negativity bias in the past. Yeah. Neither one of us are psychologists, by the way. But right, negativity bias means that for our safety, so we don't get eaten by lions, we do tend to notice the bad and dangerous things in our peripheral vision more than the good things. But there is a reason that for our safety, we seek out positive. So I think it's in our brains, we connect feeling positive with being safe. Yes. If I'm relaxed, then I must be safe. There must be no lines around if I feel positive. Therefore, feeling positive is safer than feeling negative. Therefore, I'm going to find a way to feel positive right now to make myself feel more safe. Not even the person I'm talking to, but myself feel more safe. Yes. No lions here because haven't needed another angel. <laughs> it's a way to sort of turn it into lemonade. Yes. I think that makes a lot of sense. I do too. That makes sense to me. That tracks, as the kids say. And then another reason is that being positive and likable and sunny and upbeat is an extremely desirable character trait in people. Those are the people we want to be around. Yes. Like in general, right? Like we all have friends with the life of the party and we want to spend as much time as possible with those people who just always give us a boost. And so 
I think that if we're sort of internalizing the toxic positivity, like, yes, I really do just have to turn lemons into lemonade and I have to remember that other people have it worse. We're doing that because we do think that people like that are better than people who aren't like that. Yeah. And can I also just say, I think a lot of this comes from people's genuine desire to be kind and nice. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is the trick of it a little bit. It doesn't have, unlike, let's say, um, putting someone else down to make yourself feel better. That is like you're engaging in a negative behavior to make yourself feel more positive. This is not that. This is you're trying to do something positive, but it's kind of ending up in this space. And I think also it's like, as we always try to look at the man in the mirror, some of this is like, are we doing it to ourselves that like, I must always present my family on Facebook as like smiling and happy. And, you know, I must always write the four paragraph essay on my anniversary about how my husband is the light of my life and the sunshine of my days. Even though last night, like we had a huge fight over, you know, him loading the dishwasher wrong, whatever it is. I think the toxicness of the positivity comes from the falseness of it. But I really forgive people who, you know, we've all been in a situation where something terrible happened to someone. And your first reaction is, I don't know what to say. Yes. That's how everybody feels. And so the thing I worry about a little bit with toxic positivity is it sets up like these traps of like, there's all these things you're not allowed to say. And then people just are like, uh, I guess I shouldn't say anything. I shouldn't reach out because I'm afraid of saying the wrong thing. And I mean, I had that. I know I've had it in my own life where people have said to me sometimes like, well, I didn't want to talk to you about, let's say, like your mom dying because I didn't want to bring it up. And it's like, well, I didn't forget. Like, you can bring it up anytime. You're never going to. And But I understand why people think like they're going to ruin my day if they mention it. But it also feels weird to be stuck in this space of like, let's not talk about that. And so I guess the question is like, how do you get around like not just the positivity of like, ah, everything's fine. Everything happens for a reason and get to some more real human connection. Does that make sense? Yes, it is both. How do you not be that person? And that's the easy part, right? Or how do you sort of hold this well-meaning stuff at bay if it's not helpful to you? And it's more complicated when you get into how do you make yourself okay with having a really bad month and not wanting to put a positive spin on your spouse losing their job or whatever it is, that there's not always a silver lining, there's not always a good thing. And you deeply feeling that way does not make you a person who needs to do more work to turn that frown upside down. That's well said. All right. I feel like we've established the problem really, really well. Amy, let's take a break and see if we have any solutions. Okay. Margaret, exciting news. I am about to have a new baby nephew and believe it or not, this will be my 13th nephew. Amy, you're ready to give up your amateur status. You're a pro <laughs> aunt at this yes. point. Our family has seen a lot of babies. And as soon as they start standing or walking, I send them all a whole lot of Pampers Cruisers 360. Pampers Cruisers 360 don't have ordinary diaper tabs. Instead, they have a unique 360-degree stretchy waistband that moves with your newly mobile little one. Pampers Cruisers 360 offer a gap-free fit that is up to 100% leak-proof, crucial once your baby is quite literally up and at em. And that gap-free fit helps prevent your baby from taking off their diaper, a habit you do not want them to get into. 
into. You can say that again. And Pampers Cruisers 360 just got even better with a new blowout barrier. Need we even elaborate on the need for that, friends? For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Then redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers cash has no cash value. Margaret, when you've got kids, as just about everybody listening to this right now does, you're probably looking at what they eat and seriously wondering how they could possibly be getting all of the vitamins and minerals they need to grow big and strong. That's why Haya was created, the pediatrician-approved, super-powered, chewable vitamin for kids. Haya fills the most common gaps in modern children's diets to provide the full-body nourishment our kids need. And yes, Even your picky eaters will approve. I know mine does. Formulated with the help of nutritional experts, Haya is pressed with a blend of 12 organic fruits and vegetables. Then it's supercharged with 15 essential vitamins and minerals to help support our kids' growing brains and bodies. And Haya vitamins are sent straight to your door, which means you set it and forget it and give yourself one less thing to worry about. We've worked out a special deal with Haya for their best-selling children's vitamin. Receive 50% off your first order. To claim this deal, you must go to HayaHealth.com slash fresh. This deal is not available on their regular website. Go to H-I-Y-A-H-E-A-L-T-H, HayaHealth.com slash fresh to get your kids the full body nourishment they need to grow into healthy adults. All right, Amy, have we established the problem of toxic positivity? Do we understand what we're up against here? Yes. Although I do want to sort of underline that the research indicates that making happiness your goal, like backfire spectacularly, you're going to end up way more unhappy than if you didn't have this positivity as a goal in the first place, which I guess is what makes it toxic. Does that make sense? Say it one more time because I think it really does. Okay. So there is a tendency that we have, and I want to go back to why it is. I think there's a reason that we left out, which is interesting, but we have a tendency as a people to expect happiness and want happiness in ourselves and believe that that's the way to be, right? That's how we're going to live happier, longer, more successful. Everything lies, be our best selves is to be happy. And so when we're not happy, we are both feeling the sadness and then we're feeling frustrated at ourselves that we're not happy. Like we've got that laid on top of it, the meta emotion. And studies show that that leads to greater symptoms of depression and long-term benefits and well-being. That that's what gets you really down in the dumps is being sad and then mad that you're sad instead of happy. That makes a ton of sense to me. That makes a ton of sense to me. I have a ton of stuff going on right now and I'm struggling to some degree, with a lot of anxiety. And I have found that my desire to put a lid on that anxiety is not helping. It's definitely not minimizing my anxiety. Let's say that. Like, yeah, my feeling of like, no good can come of this. And I got to stop being so anxious all the time. And it, it, it is multiplying my anxiety in a way that I understand. And so I think that's a really good point for me to hear today is like, oh, Right. That like, not only are you anxious about some real things that are really difficult right now, but my desire to constantly, like, I'm like, I can't go out. I can't see people because I would have to put on this like face of, and that is all making me so much more anxious than it would be just to say, Hey, I'm having a hard time right now. And 
Sorry. This is where I am right now. Right. Yeah, that's interesting to me. Useful. But at least you're, you know, you're acknowledging your anxiety. It, it would be worse. Yes. If you were like, <laughs> I'm fine. No, 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 no. Because I think we can draw. I've been this person. You draw positive attention for like, I don't know how you're doing this. I don't know how you're handling all this with a smile on your face. And you get kudos for that. And you get backpats for that, as we like to say. And that feels good. And so then you do something even worse, which is to try to suppress that you're feeling this stuff at all, right? Like, look how well I'm handling it. And the other thing that we haven't even like crossed the Rubicon on this, which is huge, is that we have kids. And so there is some degree to which, you know, we've had people say to us, and I think it's a really good point that like, I'm going to hold this for you because it's too heavy for you right now. And I think sometimes, you know, when I have difficulties and challenging situations, I dealt with this a lot when my mom was ill. I don't want to come home and be sobbing at the dinner table and be like, I don't know how I'm going to do this. I don't know how I'm going to get through this. I don't think that's fair to put on my kids, you know, but I feel the burden, the extended burden of having to like take that deep breath when I take the key out of the ignition and walk in and be like, hi, how was your day? Oh, it was terrible. You'd like to yell at me for a little while. Okay. You know, and so That's why, as you feel, I push back a little bit against it because it's like, I don't know, what's my other option than toxic positivity? You know, I get that maybe I don't need to be like on Facebook tap dancing and being like, I'm the happiest hen in the hen house. Mm -hmm. But there are times where you do have to kind of fake it a little bit, right? I think you do. I'll give you one thing that I found that researchers say is a good thing to do when you are in this place and you are feeling like the pressure to be happy, either externally or internally that I really got to get out of this funk because it isn't productive, right? We think our emotions need to be productive, right? Which they don't. But if you're in that thing, and I guess the trick of it is we do want to be happy. Nobody would rather be sad than happy. But we're sort of like, get happy right now. Stop it, I said. It's not working. Something that might work, researchers say, is that when you prioritize behaviors that maximize the likelihood of your future happiness... You're not doing anything to try to change how you're feeling right now, but you are prioritizing things that will maximize your being happier in the future. That's studies have shown that's the way that people say six months later, you know what? I do feel better. So give me an example of that because I like the sound of it. Uh, Let's give me an example of that. Yeah, exactly. They said this is when people find things that give them engagement and purpose and that are completely unrelated to your struggle. Yeah. So if you have a kid that's sick, You know, fundraising for that rare illness would give you engagement and purpose, but it might not give you the happiness you need as much as selling Girl Scout cookies. It's something that gives you connection, engagement, purpose that has nothing to do with the thing you're struggling with and then has rewards that are not in the next five minutes. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. And this is, I mean, I point a lot of people towards you know, just doing work for others somehow, you know, like whenever I know people who are really struggling, it's like, it can really help. I used to work at a shelter for homeless young adults. And one of the things that we did that was always really interesting is that we went and did a house build for in Mexico for, but we built a home and the kids were always, they felt so valuable to be the person of service. Yes. That the difference between being on the receiving end of the service and being able to provide service to somebody else. 
it was always really remarkable to me. And I feel that in my own life, like truly getting out of yourself sometimes is extremely helpful. Like, okay, I don't know that I can solve this problem. You can't, this is the thing. And this is what Kate Bowler, I feel like talks about really beautifully. There is no cure for being human. Like the things that happen to you, the things that befall you, the realities that are difficult, the unhappinesses that will come, unfixable, this can't be fixed. But how you choose to spend your time being human is what will define your life. That's helpful. Deep, man. You and I have a shared Catholic heritage, Irish Catholic, which I think gives into some of those like, what do you have to feel sorry about? Other people have it worse than you. And I think in the past, I've looked at this, well, you go do a Habitat for Humanity so that you can put on the hair shirt of like, how dare I have a negative emotion when other people have it worse? And what this is, I think, suggesting is like, no, 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 you do it to find joy, connection and purpose. And you know, the schoolgirl me is like, no, no, that's selfish. You're doing it to learn that actually you have it fine and other people have it way worse. No, not necessarily. You're doing it to find connection, purpose, and happiness in something that is giving you engagement with being human. Yes. And being willing to sit in that place. I remember during our conversation with Taylor Howard, she was talking about her son, Tofs, who has, you know, some complex medical needs. And she was talking about coming from a family of high achievers, academics, and like, you know, getting into this perfect college and becoming this very, you know, skilled professor is so important. And I was saying, you know, I come from a similar background and that letting go of that is a really difficult process, but that there's a lot of happiness in letting go of that. But there is a lot of calm that comes in letting go of that. And she really pushed back and she was like, but I also want to ask people to sit with me in that gap between those two places, which is still hard. And it was very moving and very right because that's where I was sort of offering like, but it's okay. It's okay. You realize that it's okay. And she was saying, I think that that what we're trying to get at with toxic positivity is that we're not ready to go. Yes, it is true that like, Whatever your life brings to you, like we will be in that together as loving friends and family and people who accept each other. We will be in that place and we will find strength from that. But we don't have to skip the step where it's like, this is hard and scary and making me really sad. Yes. And sitting with friends who are in that place and not trying to be the mother superior to their Maria von Trapp and give them the perspective and the... You know, you'll see. What is the advice that she gives in The Sound of Music? Like, God never closes a door, but he opens a window. Something like that. He opens a window. Yes, exactly. Right. And I think it's the path that we're on together that we want to skip. I think toxic positivity is our desire to skip from stone one on the path to stone 50, where everything is in the rearview mirror and okay. I saw this suggested in some of the research that I did, and I wanted to ask you if this resonated with you, that this is more of an American problem, maybe, than some other cultures, that we have to sort of shine it up. Yeah, I'm sure that's true. I mean, I don't know enough to know, but yes. (laughs) I mean, I think there's certainly cultures where it's like, yes, it's as terrible as you think. It's awful, blah, terrible, you know? And I think it's like your, you know, tweet, tweet, Irish grandma wasn't a fan of toxic positivity, right? But she was maybe a little too sometimes like, 
you want a problem. <laughs> I'll tell you about it. You know, like everybody comes at it from a different point of view. But yeah, I could see it being uniquely American. Yeah. My grandmother had a tough life and there was no point in talking about it or dwelling right. on it. And then there was sadness that was left unexpressed. I saw this tweet this week that blew my mind. Somebody said, well, the thing about kids is they're so resilient. And then this person said in response, okay, but then why are there so many adults in therapy? <laughs> I was like, Right. We can sometimes over be like, it's fine. It's fine. Kids are fine. Kids are fine. You'll see they're fine. Because we, we want it to be true so much. Yes. Instead of maybe, you know, sitting with them in the, as you said before, about the experience that your child went through, the experience that you would never want them to have, but don't miss the opportunity to sit with them and help them learn how to live with something difficult. Yeah. Instead of, well, we're not going to think about that anymore. Right? Yeah. And the fact of like, this can't be fixed is sometimes the answer, you know, like this bad things happen and that's the truth, not and that's okay. Right. And I think being able to really see other people and there's a vulnerability to opening yourself up to other people's. Yeah. Pain, you know, and to really, you have to be brave, I think, to not just be like, it's fine because I thought of a reason why it's fine. And to be able to sit with people and say, this sucks. I'm sorry. What's that line in the, sorry guys, oldie locks alert. Back in my day, Graceland, he says, losing love's like a window in your heart. Everybody sees you're blown apart. Everybody hears the wind blow. And I think about that at times like this, that when you are that person, People don't want to hear the wind blow. And so, yeah, they don't always want to sit with you. Right. They shout really loudly so that they don't have to hear the wind blow. Call one another angel. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. (laughs) You're like, please stop. Let's take a break. When we come back, let's talk about how we can be a better friend and walk through when other people are going through stuff like this. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, You are not alone, and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and 
I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us. And now, a handy guide to talking to your loving mother. From the What Fresh Hell podcast. Your mother has used up her entire day running errands for you. She spent hours scanning Pinterest recipes and preparing a new dish, even though she'd rather have been lying in bed and catching up on episodes of her favorite reality TV show. You'll be tempted to say, Ugh, what are these? Enchiladas? They smell like bat barf. Instead, try... Well, Mom, when I think of all the things you do for me, the unseen work that goes into keeping me alive and well-fed, I guess the word for what I feel is thankful. I love you, Mom. Moms spent today reorganizing your clothing drawers in tight Marie Kondo-style folds after doing half a dozen loads of laundry. Your reaction may be... Mom, where's my soccer jersey? Why do you always move my stuff so I can't find anything? Instead, try... Wow, Mom, here's just another example of how, in so many unseen ways, you work to make our lives easier. Since I can figure out how to use an iPad, I bet I could use the washing machine, too. In fact, I'd love to. This evening, your mom stopped reading an engrossing novel to instead Google Common Core Guidelines and help you figure out what the heck the bossy R is in order to help you with your homework. Your go-to reply may well be... That's not how Mrs. Smith told us to do it. God, Mom, you aren't helping me. Instead, try... Wow, the Common Core is a frustrating evolution in our current educational system. I agree. Thanks for trying to help me get to the bottom of this, even though there's a thousand more interesting ways you could be spending your Tuesday night. Your mom has set well-researched and reasonable limits on your social life in order to protect you and keep you safe and sound. You'll think a reasonable response is... God, Mom, you're so uptight. Liam's mom lives his dad until 11 p.m. and he's a year younger than me. Why do you have to be so annoying? Instead, try... Gee, Mom, thanks for recognizing that my frontal lobe has not formed enough yet to protect me from what are essentially my own moronic instincts. You must really care about me. You're the best. I love you, Mom. This has been a handy guide to talking to your loving mother. From the What Fresh Hell podcast. All right, we're back with solutions on what we should say instead of being toxically positive. Oh, good. Let's solve all the problems. We will never be toxically positive again. All right. So I have some good ground rules for us. Deborah Kaysen, she's a behavioral scientist. She says it's three steps. These are obvious, but I needed to hear them. Three steps. I'll take it. Sounds easy. Yes. First one, I never do this. What kind of support would you like when somebody is telling us about you? Say, I've seen this expressed a couple different ways. Like, do you want to brainstorm solutions with me or do you just want somebody to listen? I've gotten so much better at this as I've gotten older. I feel like I had 20 years of my life where I just, and I liked it. I was, you know, like a, like a young goat. We were just somewhere with goats and they just like to <laughs> ram their heads against each other. Like it feels good for some reason. And now I'm an old goat and I don't want to do that anymore. And I have gotten better about doing this for myself. Like, hey, I think what I need is just for you to listen and take my side in this, you know, or, hey, 
can you tell me, I have a friend who often calls me and she says, can you tell me if I'm being unreasonable? And I'm like, I will tell you. And then I listen. And sometimes I'm like, it's really frustrating for you, but you need to be a little more generous to the person you're having this conflict with. Like, But it can be such a good idea to start conversations with yourself. And I also think as our kids get older, this can be really helpful. And I find with my kids, sometimes I had a kid who had, what is it called when they come up from school and they go crazy? They fall. After school restraint collapse. Oh, we just came back from a week vacation. Monday, I picked my kid up and the after school restraint collapse was out. It was OOC, Amy. It was out of control. The post vacation rebound is a real thing. And it's regrettable. We don't have the capacity at his age to say, like, what do you want from me? I don't want anything from you. There's no way he could do it. <laughs> right. I want you to not be so annoying. Right. Like, I want you to fix it. But since I know you're not going to, I want to scream in your face and be outrageous and say, you know, I'm never going to school again. And so I just got in in my mind for whatever reason. I was in my own stuff and like, okay, I'm just going to, I don't know. It wasn't bothering me that much. And I just kept being like, that does sound really frustrating. I'm really sorry to hear that. I think you're right. It wasn't going that well. And I was like, what sounds good? Does anything sound good? How about I make you frozen pizza? Does that sound good? Like, I just kept trying. Like, I was like, let me try four things that I know sometimes work. But I was able to do it without... I knew I wasn't going to have a successful conversation of like, it'll be fine. Don't worry about it. I mean, one thing that's good about teenagers is that like, if you put up toxic positivity, they tear that thing to shreds so fast that like, there's no point. You know what I mean? They're like, here's to your toxic positivity. (laughs) Miss me with that toxic positivity, mom. Miss me with that. And, you know, we finally got to like, you know, I went kind of out of my way. I made a special stop at the store that I didn't want to do to get this kind of ice cream sandwich that he likes. I brought it home, made him a pizza. I knew he was hungry. It's like, here, have this nice, big, zero vegetable, ridiculous meal. And like, let's just fix it for today, you know, because and I think the toxic positivity thing for us creeps in too of like, everything has to be a lesson. Like, this is unacceptable behavior. This is, you don't get your way by having tantrums. And I just took a day to be like, you know what? Forget it. I'm doing it. I'm going to fix it. I'm going to give you a gold star to you for not saying, are you the young man who just got back from Disney World? Because it seems to me... Yeah, exactly. Because, But that's why he was having the restraint collapse. That's the thing. Because that's right. We had just spent a week at Disney World, which was incredibly fun, incredibly tiring, incredibly expensive, an incredibly hard job for him and for my husband and myself. An incredibly hard job for his dad and me who were up at 630 in the morning programming apps so we could make sure to get on every Star Wars thing he wanted to ride. And they were really grateful about it. But like, It's also really helpful, and I got this from the podcast, to look at that and not say, like, this is a kid who is totally ungrateful that I just did all this Disney World stuff, and be able to look at it and be like, oh, it's after-school restraint collapse. Yeah. Let's fix it with a pizza and an ice cream sandwich. Yeah, and not how dare you be sad. And not, there was no room in it. And listen, on any given day, on any given Monday, I would have completely gone with the lecture on like, I can't believe you're acting like this when you should be grateful. But every once in a while, when you do it right, you're like, oh, this is right. Like, we don't need toxic mamacity, you know, coming in and being like, 
you should really be grateful. We just went to Disney World. Like, you're not grateful when you're exhausted after your first day back at school and it's hard and you're tired. I'm thinking about this first thing of saying, like, would you like me to do this? Would you like me to do that? I'm not sure I'm always there for being asked that question, but I could do a better job of answering that question up front. I'm not having a hard time with my spouse. I'm having a hard time with something and I want to discuss it with my spouse and my spouse in a loving way will try to react with a fix and will you just have to, what are you going to do? That's not who I was talking about before, but uh, (laughs) what are you going to do sort of reaction? And so I need to head that off the pass. Like, I really need you to just sit with me in this and just uh, just know that this is hard. Yeah. I'm not asking you to fix it, that I can do a better job of preempting that first by asking for what I need. Yeah. Which is, we shouldn't put that on the person who's suffering, but. Yeah. And I also think, no. And you also have to know this for yourself to a certain degree. You cannot begin every conversation with like, yeah, I would like you to react this way. That's not always going to happen. But I also think it's always a good idea in dealing, you know, when we've dealt with tough situations within my family, my extended family, my nuclear family, we pretty much know this person is the hammer. This person is the good cop. This person is the negotiate. Like people bring their own skills to a situation. Mm. And so don't go to the hammer when you need the negotiator. That's where you've got to solve this problem to a certain degree. That's what I mean. And like, you can't solve other people's toxic positivity. You can try to control it and you can try to get under it by asking for what you need. But don't go looking for pizza from a Chinese restaurant because you're going <laughs> to walk away hungry and mad. Drunk Uncle Bob won't really help you with this. He's not really here for a long talk. No, he's never going to come to Thanksgiving with a gift and be respectful and then leave. It's not going to happen, people. All right. What's number two? Number two is to validate. This is when you are on the receiving end of somebody who needs support rather than resorting to hashtag good vibes only. What can you say, you know, instead? Yes. So the first thing is maybe to say like, what kind of support are you looking for? Which you might be able to read without having to even say that. But the second thing is to validate their emotions. It's so important and it's what gets missed. And it's what when somebody says to you, well, look on the bright side, it could be worse. At least you have a roof over your head or whatever. You're completely invalidating the emotion of the person who's trying to express to you their sadness, despair, whatever. We need to just say like, that must be so hard. That's all you have to say. Like, I don't know why we make it so hard and think we have to give them these pithy aphorisms of bluebird, you know, hope when really it's just... God, that must be hard. I don't know how you're getting through this right now. That must be so difficult. It's so much simpler, isn't it, than what we can tend to do? Yeah. And I would say also reach out. That's what I would say in general, that I have a tendency, no one kind of wants to insert themselves in other situations. And people do do this. You know, I mean, when you have a tragedy, you definitely notice some people who like, some rubberneckers? Uh, they come out and they're like doing the full, you know, operatic reaction. And you're like, wait, you're like a 13th level person to this. You know what I mean? Like that does happen. But I think you can never go wrong. I, I mean, we've often, everybody's had this thing of like, do I know this person well enough to say something? Should I go? Should I, you know, you don't want to be perceived as that rubbernecker person who's just there to be part of someone else's story. But I've never ever had the experience of being like, I wish I have had the experience of like, okay, enough already with somebody who came and carried on a lot and kind of pulled focus. But people who came in who were like, I was your 
person who you lost's car mechanic and we always had a really nice thing. The fact they walked in the door is always moving. Mm-hmm. Like put your face in, say I'm sorry and be part of it and then don't take it to the place of like and my final word is everything happens for a reason it'll all be fine. Bye-bye. <laughs> Just showing up and saying I'm sorry is all that is required. But be brave enough to do it. It's so much simpler. Yeah, it's brave to do it. And it's brave. So the third part of what we have to do is to then reinforce. So we make sure we're offering the help that's being asked, which is usually listening and support. Second is validate emotions instead of try to get them to change them in real time in front of you. And the third time is just reinforce that you are there for this person. This must be hard. And is there anything I can do to help you? Is there anything I can do to make it easier? You know, you're not alone. That kind of thing is better than. And I've told the story before about being at a really difficult funeral with someone and people were saying really stupid things. I mean, bad things. And I remember this person just said, whatever anyone says to me, I'm going to try to remember they showed up and I'm going to try to just hear, I love you. And it was like, what an amazing thing to be able to try to do, you know, like, You can't stop the reaction that people bring to you. I think that's always a really important thing to remember. Like you can't expect people to react correctly because it's not going to work. Right. But you can ask for what you need. You can get people who are in your lives to shield you from people. I mean, that's a nice thing to offer sometimes friends or at a reception after a death. It can be a really helpful thing to be like, the bodyguard for the person. You know what I mean? Like, who do you want to talk less to? Mm -hmm. I will go take that person out and be like, I really need to tell you, you know, how important you are, whatever it is. So you have to be able to control yourself to a certain point. But I think for us, the braveness to not be like, let's drown out the wind with my screaming and just be like, okay, let's sit here together in this and feel however we feel. And that's okay is the bravest thing that we can do. And that you're being brave when you're, you don't have to take in this like, but I should be feeling differently. Like, no, you don't. You don't have to be feeling differently. And you're very brave to be feeling how you're feeling. And it's their fear coming out, not even their judgment of you. It's just their fear. That would help me, I think, a little bit to sort of reframe this instead of like, God, you're right. I am lucky and I shouldn't dwell on the bad stuff. No. Yeah. 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 Don't let other people drag you into that for sure. There's a great part in, um, Eat, Pray, Love, that book, Elizabeth Gilbert. Yeah. She's working at like an ashram or something. She's like a normal person who kind of gets involved in like this ashram, you know, meditative lifestyle. And she's checking people in. She's working there. And the guy who she's working with has been there forever. And people are like, I don't have my reservation. And she's like, these people are so annoying. They're so this, they're so that. And the guy was like, isn't it hard to see how afraid they are? And like, it's going to be so nice to be able to help them. And it is like just you can only reframe your own brain, you know, and like, isn't it nice to see that they tried and showed up? And then if you need someone to keep them the heck away from you, that's fine too. hire and get a bodyguard on on board. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. you solved it. Oh, we solved it. It's hard. We always do. Always, Amy. There's so much toxic positivity out there, but we're here for you. We know everything's not always all right, guys. And that's fine, too. We'll make it through whatever we do. It's pretty good. Even literally days after you got home from Disney World. Sometimes there's ups and downs. Yes, exactly. Exactly. If you want to do something for us that is positive and completely non-toxic, why don't you go leave a rating or review for the podcast, friends? 
wherever you listen. Like right where you're listening, like right now, like throw the stars, give the love. Even better, hit the little share button, the little square with an arrow and forward this episode to a friend who could use a little non-toxic, non-judgmental, I'm here for you. We've been here a while, friends, but we're always trying to grow and that really helps reach new listeners. So thank you. And until next week, friends, we hope that your positivity is all entirely non-toxic. Only positive. Your happiness is very organic and earned and deeply felt. Exactly. All right. We'll talk to you next time. So long. Oh, hey, everybody. It's us, Blair and Molly. Your old pals from Toddler Purgatory. Two moms who are also actors, who are also creative beings, who sometimes feel stuck. And this is our new podcast, Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. What happens when your creative spark just seems to disappear? Gone. Poof. Bye. See ya. What happens when life gets in the way of your creativity instead of nourishing it? That's what happened to Molly and me. We felt like the thing that drove us creatively stopped working and impending doom had in fact impended. Totally. So we decided to do something about it. And that was steal ideas about getting unstuck from the most creative people we can find. We talked to guests about how to break through the mucky, gluey, sticky wall that can get between you and your creativity. We hear about their journeys, their successes, their challenges, and even their bougie coffee shop orders. And we're not just talking Bob Ross type paint on paper artists here, though we talk to them too. We're talking to actors, creative directors, dancers, and people who are working hard to be their best creative selves in a world that can sometimes feel real uncreative. We all have something to teach each other, so let's steal their ideas together. Join us, won't you, as we deep dive into how to unstick ourselves from the life gunk that can get in the way of our creative freedom. Pandemics, school calendars, world events, lack of sleep, oh, get out of their life gunk. And let's get back to your best creative self. Subscribe to Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. You're not going to want to miss an episode. Unsticking It with Blair and Molly, because sometimes life sucks. Unsticking it.